Good morning, everybody. We had a wonderful seat this morning. The kids were worshiping and singing praises to Jesus. And on the way to Jesus, we were privileged to hear them singing and worshiping. It was real special. Real special. Father, thank you for your love and mercy and your grace to us. You have a plan and you have a purpose for this morning, for all of life in this morning being part of that. Help me, Father, to be your faithful servant this morning. Amen. <clears throat> it, was, it seemed to me this morning like Jen had read the same portions of Scripture I had before we came here, and uh, I liked it. The song says, Your name is a light that the shadow can't deny. And in this world, I don't know if you've noticed, it's a little bit messed up. And try to figure out what's going on with whatever. And then sometimes we think, oh, this leader needs to go, or that leader's wrong or bad. And we need to understand something. The power is in the shadows. The power is in the shadows. Whoever that leader is, is not really in control. The power is in the shadows. And if we want to knock out whoever said leader or bad thing, but Jesus' name is the light the shadow cannot deny. And so we can walk in confidence and not fear. So when evil confronts us, we know you're not really in control. I know that. Then we sang that we would Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. And that's true as well. And then, my Jesus, I love thee. And I kind of felt this is a song we would sing after, after confessing. Confessing we messed up. Confessing, here I am again. Here I am again. I'm so tired of confessing, but I confess again. And then... When Jesus washes us and we just sing, my Jesus, I love thee. I know the heart mine. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So thank you. I think I made a PowerPoint this morning. I did not take that picture. But I have to confess that whole thing with those women and everything looks quite familiar from people we love and cherish and work with. It's harvest season over there. They're harvesting the wheat, removing the husk from the kernels. <clears throat> so, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will run away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus is saying, In two days I'm going to get killed. I'm going to be put in the tomb. Then five days later I'm going to meet you over there in Galilee. Every time I read that it blows my fuses, you know. And, and 
I think for the disciples, we just miss what's actually going on there. So Jesus says to him, even if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. I'm your guy, Jesus. I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. I'm all in. And Jesus says, I assure you, Jesus says to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter kept insisting. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. Father, thank you for Peter and this amazing story. Help us, Father, to see ourselves in this story and to see you speaking to each of us. By your spirit, you can do that, Father. Help us to examine our hearts for your glory. Amen. You ever mess up and say, boy, I thought I was, I was past that. I thought I was better than that. That's just confessing how incredibly proud we are and full of ourselves. I thought I was better than that. I thought more of myself than I should have, as is evidenced by my actions. Sifting, it's the purging from the Lord. And the sifting, we can embrace it and live, or we can resist it and die. When they're beating that wheat over here, whoops, back up, I still was in the wheat here. Thank you. No, you're right, I did read that. Anyway. (laughs) You ever eat porridge? which is, of course, the best breakfast ever, right? But then whoever, when you get that whole oats, crushed oats, and then in there, there's a piece of husk in the porridge. And how can we notice one tiny little piece of husk in a big bowl of porridge? And it, Because it scratches on your teeth. It's irritating. Or it gets stuck between your teeth. Or it goes into the gums. Ah! You see, that's a husk, not meant to be eaten. They're trying to get the husks out. So the wheat, first of all, gets beat and hammered and trampled on. If you ever feel beaten and hammered and trampled on, Jesus says to Peter, Satan is asked to do this to you. And he says, and I've prayed and asked for the Lord to bring you through it. I say to you, my brothers and sisters, don't be surprised. Sifting has to happen. If we run away from it or resist it or complain, whatever it is, it has to happen. For God to be glorified, that has to happen. And then don't think it's completely done ever. Just when you think it's done, then that piece of husk gets stuck in your gums, you know. Ah. You know, a couple of years ago, we were driving to Regina, and for, we left in the middle of the night and drove, which is always a good idea, to drive down a long, straight highway for hours on end. 
in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping, right? And my wife is great to travel with me, and she says she never sleeps unless you put her behind the wheel. Then she sleeps. So we're driving to Regina, and, and uh, I just couldn't stay awake, so I pulled over, and I said, I just need 15 minutes. If you could drive 15 minutes, I'll be okay. And so uh, before she'd gotten into the driver's seat, I was already passed out in the passenger seat. And the next thing I know, I just kind of, for some reason, wake up, you know, for no apparent reason. And I look, and I see she's driving in the middle of the highway. Now it's a two-lane, so there's room for it, right? But it's just a little bit odd to me that we're in the middle of the highway. I says, what's going on? She says, oh. So I'm driving in the middle, because this way, it takes a little longer to get to the rumplespit strips on either side that keep waking me up. True story. <laughs> Somehow I was awake at that point. <laughs> I said, I think I'll be okay to drive, thank you. The rumple strips on the road are great to catch you from going in the ditch, but they're not so good to live by. You don't want to close your eyes and then count on the rumple strips. Not good. They're great in an emergency, not so great as a way of life. And training wheels on a bike. You ever teach kids to ride a bike? Those training wheels. I, I you know, for all people who buy training wheels for those, those kids, I'm sure they love them, those kids. I just don't see it, personally. Because the training wheels te teaches you to trust on something that's just not there for you. And it's never going to be there for you. It teaches you that you can ignore all the laws of bike driving and still be able to pretend you're driving a bike. I don't like it. You see, God's plan for bike riding and learning to ride a bike is dad. Dad, that's the plan. Grab the back of the seat and say, I got you, I got you. And then run as fast as you can because that kid's going to pedal really hard. And then just keep saying, I got you, I got you. I got you, I got you. <laughs> and then they'll turn around and hit the ditch. What happened? Thought you are hanging on. And you say, look where you are. Oh, yeah, look at that. I can ride a bike. And they will learn to ride like that. So there's things in life we have. Rumple strips coming over here on the highway. You had some rumple strips on the highway. I know why they're there. Too many accidents in that corner. People zing through there, not realizing there's traffic. So there's rumple strips. And so those two stories are there to help us as we go to look at Peter and learn our lessons from him. Hubris. Hubris describes a personality quality of extreme or excessive pride or dangerous overconfidence and complacency, often in combination with or synonymous with arrogance. If we think really hard, we can probably think of a few people that might be, might or might not be in the public pictures that we say, wow, that sure describes that person. And in my life, I've found out that when I say, wow, that really describes that person, it's probably because I don't want to see what it describes in this person. 
Hubris is usually perceived as a characteristic of an individual rather than a group. Hubris often indicates a loss of contact with reality and an overestimation of one's own competence, accomplishments, and capabilities. The old, you know who I am? <laughs> you know, I was quite put off coming here this morning. You people clearly don't know who we are. You see, in Rwanda, if I pulled up to a church with a dirty car, somebody would grab my keys and go wash it completely, inside and out. It, it just, they can't have me driving a dirty car. You didn't do that. You must not know who we are. I've seen people get put off because they didn't get their car washed. It shows something about ourselves, doesn't it? Okay, so now we're going to look at Peter and his, the hubris that was in him personally and how it came out. And by God's grace, hopefully you'll see yourself in it. If not, then you can picture me making all the mistakes and you'll be right about that. So, In Mark 1, 17 and 18, Jesus, having just returned from 40 days in the wilderness, where our indigenous friends say he was on his vision quest, coming to grips with creator God who communicated with him exactly why he was here and what he had to do and settling that in his heart. That was after his baptism. And then he's walking along the shore and he sees Peter and Andrew fishing. And Peter and Andrew were involved in, in business and sometimes you catch fish, sometimes you don't. And sometimes there's a good price. Usually when you have a lot of fish, the, mar the price is down. And when the price is up, you don't have fish. Um, and they're living in a culture that is not very pleasant. The Romans are in control of everything, and you have the church, everybody's telling you what to do, and it's just not good. Probably trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And I don't think Jesus, Peter knew a whole lot, whole lot what he was doing, but for me, his response is a, is a sign of his frustration with life, <laughs> with the situation and circumstance. It's just like, I'm so done with this, Okay. Whatever the this is, to try and figure things out, done. No more. So I'm going to leave this all behind, and I'm going to follow Jesus. There's not a lot of evidence at this point yet about what was all going to happen. But it touched something inside of Peter. And Peter says, I'm all in on the ground floor. Then in Mark 2, 19 to 22, Jesus is asked, why don't your disciples fast? You see, John's disciples fast, and here's Jesus now walking with the disciples, and somebody says to him, why don't your disciples, and Peter's listening to this, and so he's kind of hearing, okay, why don't we fast? Yeah, that's a good question. And Jesus says, well, this is the bridal party, and we don't fast because the groom is here. Well, for me, I go, yeah, that's right. We're special. I'm part of the bridal party. You see, we're different. We're special. We don't, we don't have to fast. <laughs> I like this. Because there was a lot of garbage with that, you know? And I'm free from that. 
Then Mark 2, 23 to 28. Jesus asked, why do your disciples rub the grain and eat on the Sabbath? They'd been walking through the grain field and Jesus had said, hey, rub the grain, eat, we're all hungry, let's have some food. And I bet you the disciples thought about it in their mind. Because they all knew the rules, every one of them. I wonder if any of them thought of asking him, Jesus, are you sure? We're going to get in trouble with the big guy? Things aren't going to do well for us. But anyway, we're following Jesus, and they rub the grain, and they eat it. And Jesus gets challenged. Why do you do this? And Jesus says, Sabbath is for man. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And Peter's in this group, have a special status now. All those Sabbath rules you have, you can only walk so far on a Sabbath, you can do this, can't do that, all of a sudden don't apply. <laughs> Maybe he's thinking, you go go fishing, you know? All kinds of, the world opens up because Sabbath doesn't apply. Well, for me, I think I'm getting, I picked, made the right choice following Jesus. Things are going to go well here, you see? Going to have new rules in place. Think of it, I'm a special one, I'm chosen. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Then in Mark 3, 13 to 19, Jesus summoned those that he wanted to be with him up on a mountain for a special retreat. He appointed 12, named them apostles. You will be my emissaries, my agents. I will invest everything in you. And, but first, I want you to be with me. I want us to be together. And then he sent them out to preach, and he gave them authority over demons. Hmm. There's a whole lot going on there. But we have it as a point in a sermon, not as a sermon. With the top leader, invites you away to a retreat. I used to work in a business in a company and then every once in a while they'd go out to Banff, have a ski time and go at the resorts and it was just a blast. It was business meetings, of course. I remember being invited out to that. I felt pretty good about myself. I'm somebody. You don't get invited to that if you're not somebody. Special. Here's Peter. They're all invited, the 12 of them, to spend time with Jesus and to drive out demons. Sometimes that happens. I remember different times in Rwanda, out in the countryside, especially in the rural areas. When you come and bring the word and the Holy Spirit is in you and moves through you, the demons would manifest themselves fairly regularly. People knew how to handle it. You just kept going. They'd take them out to a different room and work with them for all day or two days and the demons would be gone. And they had authority over demons. Then in Mark 3, 31 to 35, they're all coming to see Jesus and his family thinks he's nuts because he's going around pretending to be God himself. Who does he think he is? 
And so his family thinks they should put him in a mental home. Real strong family support there. And he's actually, you know who my family is? It's these guys. This is my family. Matter of fact, anybody who does the will of my Father in Heaven is my family. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm with Jesus, I'm going, yeah. We're, we're together. Because now I've slid in really close. I'm family. Mark 6, 6 to 12, and then verse 30 and following, the disciples are now commissioned. And now they do the miracles Jesus did. And demons submit. The apostles are gathered around Jesus and tell him all this amazing stuff that happened. This is just nuts. And Jesus says, don't be impressed with that. Be amazed that you're going to be in heaven. Be amazed at the scum that you are. The hubris, arrogant, proud, self-righteous, selfish people that you are. Be amazed that you're going to be in heaven with me. And of course, I'm thinking, because of how good I am, I'll be in heaven with you. Aren't I great? And they feed thousands of people and have all kinds of stuff left over. And I'm thinking now, wow, nothing can stop us. Ah, who needs a budget? <laughs> who needs to go to that budget meeting? Who needs a plan? How are you going to? I mean, just forget about it, right? We're just going to pray and away you go. I mean, they're so forgetting about it that a few days later is in the, in the boat and they're talking about food again and everybody forgot to bring food. We didn't think of it because Jesus got it all in hand. There you go. Isn't that great? In Rwanda, first time we went out <clears throat> on a missions trip there, and a bunch of guys, we went out for a, to a restaurant for a meal. And when the meal was over, everybody gave the bill to me. But that feels odd to me. What is that? And so John Paul and I, who worked together, I said, John Paul, after, I said, what, what's up with this? He said, well, you're the missionary. So I, I know that. And so that's what missionaries do. You pay for everything. He says, it's okay, Dave. We'll teach you what it means to be missionary. You'll get it. We do life. Mark 7 says, the older people want their traditions upheld. And Jesus says, no. I remember that if my hair was longer touching my ears, it was sin. For a man to have long hair is sin. For a woman to cut her hair is sin. And I was more of a problem than I should have been. I learned to comb my hair in a ducktail. You all know what a ducktail is? Some of you do. See, our young man over here with the hair, right? 
This is what a ducktail is. Right? You need a little bit of brill cream, a little dab will do you. You know what brill cream is? See, br brill cream is this greasy, oily stuff you put on your hair, and then wherever you put it, it stays there. You could spike it, you could whatever, it stays there. And so I learned that I could put a little brill cream in my hair and comb it into a ducktail. And my grandma was happy, happy, happy. Hair is not hanging down over the years. Woohoo! Then I learned something else that when I washed my hair in the morning before I went to school and didn't put in brill cream, I could comb it into ducktail and grandma was happy. See, we lived in the same house as my grandma. <clears throat> she was happy. What they all didn't know is half hour after that, when I was in school now, I could hang my head down and give it a shake. And now I had a Davy Jones haircut. Does anybody know who Davy Jones is? <laughs> I'm an old man, eh? Davy Jones was a, there we go, was a rock and roller in a group called the Monkees. And his hair came down this way, long, and it flowed down till here on his shoulders. And I'd cut my hair so that just shaking it, I had a perfect Davy Jones haircut. And I went into school and something weird happened. All the girls were screaming. Like when the Beatles came. Does anybody know who the Beatles are? I got called to the principal's office. we making a problem. And now my grandma had a problem. She didn't know. You see, when I went to school, I was okay. But now I wasn't okay. Because having a ducktail wasn't sin. But hanging it down was sin. Don't you understand? And so, what Jesus is saying here, the old people... So if the old people can't get their way, if the old people can't control you, then they'll try to make rules and laws and talk to the teachers and leaders, those leaders in the church, leaders in the community, to try and pass laws so that you'll obey the old people. That's always been how it's always been. And Jesus is saying, no. What? I bet you the old people all said, what? I bet you the leaders in the synagogue says, what? You can't do that. This is how we work. Older people says, who's going to control the kids? What? Got to understand what's going on. Mark 8, 27 to 30, Jesus testifies that he believes Jesus is the Messiah. Until then, nobody believed it. His siblings didn't. The disciples didn't. Nobody did. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, when Peter says, I believe you're the Messiah, Jesus says, only the Father in heaven could convince you because flesh and blood could not. I could not. And so when people tell me, Dave, you need to say this or do this to convince people to do that, I go, excuse me? Jesus couldn't convince anybody. You're going to go convince your kids or your grandkids to behave a certain way? Excuse me? Jesus couldn't convince anybody. 
only the Father in heaven. It just rocks the boat. Mark 9, following, James, Peter, and John are invited up in the mountain. Now they, they visit with ghosts of ancient heroes who appear and they have a conversation with the spirits of ancient heroes. And as they come down from the mountain, Jesus puts his arms around the guys and says, hey, you guys, let's just keep this between the four of us, okay? Until sometime later. But just privileged platform. Yeah, we know things. Mark 9, 30 to 32. Jesus shares with this privileged platform how he's going to get crucified. And here's when hubris all of a sudden reveals itself. They're arguing among themselves who's going to be the greatest. That doesn't just happen. It was there all along. But we try and keep it down. And for me, after that encounter, that's when I repent and say, Jesus, there I am again, full of myself. Oh, forgive me. When Peter says, how often should we forgive? Jesus says, 70 times 7, like 770 times a day, because that's how often Jesus forgives us. I did it again. I promoted myself. I tried to make myself look good. Oh, Jesus, have mercy. I forgive you. I did it again. I forgive you. My Jesus, I love thee. Then in Mark 9, 41 following, on the heels of this hubris, Jesus says, be careful. He's laying down the rumble strips. Be careful now, because you're going to deny me. But first of all, in 9, 41, it says, be careful about the kids and the vulnerable people. And it's interesting that right on the heels of his hubris coming out and manifesting itself, Jesus says, now be careful for the innocent ones. Because that's what happens when hubris takes over, is the innocents get trampled on. Children, innocents, get trampled on. So Mark 9, 41 following was caution, caution, caution. So when we see how kids are treating it, being treated and the less fortunate are being treated, I can tell you, hubris is running rampant. Then Mark 10, 32, Jesus talks about earthly possessions. And then Jesus, then Peter reminds Jesus, do you know I, I've left everything, Jesus, did you know? I, I left the, the business, the fishing boats and the nets, I've left it all behind for you. I mean, and you're talking here about you, you have to forsake earthly possessions. Jesus, I have. Now, where's the payback, huh? When am I getting that? Mark 10, 32 following, Jesus now for the third time predicts his death. And I think the disciples say, oh, he's gonna, really going to die. We better get this straight before he dies. Who's going to be in charge? Who's number one? This is not a one-time thing. This is a theme of who's going to be number one, who's going to get promoted, who's going to have the position. 
Then Mark 14, 27 to 31, Peter's denial is predicted publicly. And Peter says, no way, no way, never, 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 never. How dare you say that? I've forsaken everything for you. I've been through everything with you. I'm your guy. If they want to come and get you, I'll stand in the way. I'll defend you. Pulls out a sword, cuts off the guy's ear. I'm your guy. Don't you know who I am, Jesus? Isn't that why you chose me? Because I'd be your guy. Mark 14, 37 to 42, Jesus goes off to pray and asks his disciples to stand watch as he's going through his darkest hour. Three times he comes back and three times they're sleeping. Really concerned for Jesus in his darkest hour. We were tired. Well, it was a busy day. We were tired. And then in Mark 14, 66, I'm just going to get this out. I saw something this year as I was reading through that, that I, for me, I'm sure I'd read before, but it just stood out to me. And the Lord kind of said, there it is, there's the rumble strip. There it is. And Peter runs right over it. Mark 14. Is that what I said? 66, there we go. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entry and a rooster crowed. The first time he denied Jesus, the rooster crows. Jesus had just said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And now Peter denies Jesus, and the rooster crows. And Peter runs right over that rumble strip. Don't even slow down. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you, you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear. I won't do that this morning. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. That's the right response. No excuses. He broke down and wept. You see, Jesus uses people to do incredible things. And a key ingredient is, are you honest? Or are you pretending?
Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. It was too late now. For Judas, it was too late. Judas wanted the money. He always wanted the money. He betrayed him. And he, he regretted. He said, threw the money. Here, you, you take it. You take it. Let's undo this. You can't undo it. That's a done deal. Now, how do you face Jesus? How do you face people? Everybody knows who you are. When we pretend to be something we're not, we're fooling ourselves. First of all, my wife knows me better than anybody else. And others, people know us. Who are we trying to kid? Trying to protect our image. Trying to build an empire. Trying to be important. When we do that, the vulnerable get hurt because we don't see them. We use them. So where is it that I don't want people to look? <clears throat> when I grew up, my dad was not a horribly spiritual guy. <clears throat> and he liked to have a a bottle of beer, fairly consistently. And I remember one time our pastor paid a surprise visit to our home. I was a teenager already. And my mom was just so, so not knowing what to do with this pastor who was going to come into the house. And my dad was sitting at the table drinking a beer. And so she quickly cleans up everything she can and puts the beer in a cupboard with the dishes. So the pastor comes in to talk, and here I am, the dutiful, loyal, faithful, loving son. <laughs> I'm observing this, and my mom's making all nice with everybody. And I say, hey, mom, don't we need one of those dishes from here, over here in this cupboard? She comes and says, stop it, what are you doing? I wasn't the best son, I'll admit that. But it's interesting. People know who we are. People know. Most of all, Christ knows who we are. And he says, this is why I died. Because I know who you are. And I know that unless you die, you're not going to change. So he says, so here's the deal. I will die and then rise again so that if you're willing to identify with me in my death, then you say, my old self will die. Then I will rise with you in you. And then when people encounter you, they'll be encountering the spirit of Jesus Christ. Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your business associates, the community will be encountering the spirit of Jesus Christ 
in you. And who you are and how you respond changes completely. And guaranteed, you're going to bump up against your hubris. First thing. That's why he says you have to pick up your cross daily. Make that choice every day. Not about me. Not about me. But then as you lay it down, humbly, and then you pray, you can say, Father, I'm coming to pray for you. I'm coming to pray for these people that you've entrusted to me. You're the one who says, I want you to go there. You're the one who says, I want to use you. And you're the one who says, if you lay it down, I will use you. Father, here I am. I've laid it down. I don't have to be with those people, but I'm telling you, you have to move. So, Father, your mercies are new each morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great. New every morning. I speak the name of Jesus over my wife, over my life, my family. I speak the name of Jesus. Jesus, you see in the shadows, nothing is hidden from you. You see in the shadows of my heart. Nothing is hidden. And Father, if I really, really want to know what I'm hiding, I don't even know I'm hiding, I can ask my wife and she'll pretty much tell me. The question is, do I want to get real? Father, without the Spirit of Jesus, there is no life. There's just pretending. And Jesus was not pretending. Is the real deal. Thank you that Peter learned it after Jesus rose and the Spirit came and he learned. He learned to give it all. Father, may we each learn to give it all. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen.